and welcome back to the Game Pit Podcast. I'm Sean and this is episode 105. Ronan? It certainly is episode 105. Hello everyone, you're very welcome back. This is a Picking Over the Bones episode in which we're going to give you reviews of six games. All of them are quite recent releases, Sean, and it's been quite the momentous two or three months in the Game Pit. It is, Ronan. You've uh, started off our new YouTube channel. You've pumped out quite a few videos, I, I may say. You've worked very hard. The rate is somewhat slowing this weekend onwards. <laughs> it was not sustainable. But yeah, we've got nearly 70 between us overviews of games in a couple of minutes called Pit Stops. And we hit 250 subscribers, which given we started it a couple of months ago, we're absolutely fantastically happy with that. One of our videos on the D-Day Dice Kickstarter has got over 3,600 views, Sean. Yeah, it's something we did think about when, when you first sort of mooted the point that these videos would actually be perfect for that Kickstarter market. So I'm glad to see that that's come to fruition. Yeah, it went down quite well. And other companies have contacted us to ask us to do them. So there'll be more coming there. I think it's quite a nice way. We don't have to talk about them in the podcast because we haven't played them, some of the games, but to just give an overview and let people see what they might be spending their money on. So thank you very much, everyone who supported us on YouTube. If you haven't, go and check them out they're all over board game geek as well we also have had all sorts of, of milestones sean 2000 twitter followers that was Yay. lovely thank you everyone woot, woot. Go us. and whether it's the pit stops or the s encourage whatever we had about a 20 percent jump in listeners an extra 500 listeners so we're now well over 3000 for every episode and that's just it's uh, given it's just you and me sitting around chatting about games it's, it's pretty cool, Sean. It's pretty great that it's, this is still going after. Yeah, it's quite daunting, to be honest. I, I think we always say it, but it was absolutely true. When we first started this, if we said we had 10 regular listeners that wanted to listen <laughs> to our utter drivel, we'd be delighted. So, I'm sure I said 100. <laughs> no, I said 10. <laughs> you did say 10. So we just wanted to take a second to say thank you so much, everyone, for your support over the last four and a half years. Thank you for following us all over the place, and, and we'll just continue doing what we do. And if you like it or don't, let us know. We do try and listen to people. We do try not to repeat ourselves. We've started trying to say the names of games throughout a review. That's always coming up. Yeah, and we go back and forth between saying the games at the beginning of the show and not saying the games at the beginning of the show because some people <laughs> like it some people don't like it so we're not actually sure mm, we're not going to say them this time and if you like it when we say them let us know maybe we'll start saying them again <laughs> what else oh making the rules explanation shorter yeah we, we really do honestly try and if you ever go back there were 15 minute rules explanations back in the day and they're <laughs> a, a bit shorter than that now <laughs> all by ronan <laughs> that is actually weird. it's quite weird because we've actually reversed the odd video that i do do on the old pit stop videos i'm actually the one that goes too far with the rules explanations <laughs> i can't condense them i just no i can't but ronan's actually really good at just like whoosh that's right i'm gonna try some pit stop format in these ones i'm just gonna two lines of rules what do you think uh i don't, I don't think you'll be comfortable <laughs> You might be true, you might be true. What else has been going on? Right, so while we're in chatty mood, people may have noticed. Yeah, well, you know what, we've had some suspect numbering of our shows in the past, but there was a glaring omission in that episode 100 just never appeared. Now, that is all my fault, because I said to Ronan, no, I really want to do something special for episode 100, so he said, crack on. Things things got taken away from me with work and life and stuff, So, but I am... 
cracking down to that now. I've sent out a few tweets and Facebook messages just asking generally if you could just send us in a message. A question is what we want. Ask us about something, our opinion on something. Ask us to talk about something. Whatever you want to say. If you could send that in and we will mention your name on the show and it's your chance to take part in our episode 100. We're going to have some gaming dignitaries coming in doing similar sort of things and of course we're going to get all the people who've been on the show over the last hundred episodes or so back on just to either have a chat or just again provide us with a message so if you could please send those questions into the game pit podcast at gmail.com we'd be really grateful so thank you in advance brilliant okay and the last point of order we have done our conventions for the season nothing now until aircon which is, th- is this first weekend in march on I believe so, Ronan. I believe so. Okay, that's where we're going to be next if you want to see us anywhere. But we, we're at LobsterCon 14. I'm one of the organisers, so I'm not contractually obliged not to talk about it too much. But Sean, you had a good time? I had a fantastic time. Really chilled out. I think I only played like 11 or 12 games the whole time. Yeah, there were a couple of beasts in there with our five to six hour Eldritch Horror, which always goes down very, very well. But uh, yeah, a really chilled out car and played some really cool games played two of the games we're going to be talking about in this episode on a couple of occasions so yeah thank you ronan for for helping organizing and thank you to tom and everyone else mostly tom mostly tom (laughs) (laughs) i think a bit of a joy of being loud when we're there but mostly tom yeah (laughs) fantastic time i'll just was brilliant one of the listeners that you might see him interact with us on the bg guild or twitter phil sheep uh, he came along for his first one. I think he had a good time. He joined in Drunk Filthy Eldritch Horror, which was a surprisingly easy win against the Children of Filth. <laughs> but the fact we're playing the Children of Filth made it quite funny. It, it wasn't Eldritch Horror, that was it? It was Eldritch Happy. Woohoo! Everything went. Sum it up was the event card that sent us on a spa weekend. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know that existed honestly we had a spa weekend guard uh, okay everyone heal <laughs> yeah anyway that's all be good uh should we crack on and talk about some of these games we've been playing at LobsterCon and elsewhere absolutely Ronan. and as always we are very proud members of the dice tower network go to there and the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to download the episodes we're on stitcher itunes and podbean and of course please head to our youtube channel for pit stop videos we're going to kick off our games this time around with ex libris a one to four player game taking 30 to 60 minutes Designed by Adam D. McIver, designer of Coin Age and Pencil Park, but also the artist for lots of board games like Yokohama, World Fair, Best Treehouse Ever, Sean. Very excited from you over there. Ever, ever. Uh, the tiny, <laughs> ever, ever. The Tiny Epic series. Published by Renegade. Lots of games come out Renegade the last couple of years. Clank, Fuse, Lanterns, Flip Ships, and on and on. Ex Libris is a worker placement game in which each player is looking to collect and shelve book cards and book cards will have between two and four books on them the books will come in six different categories and in each game one of the categories is banned is going to cost you points one of the categories is special and there's some majority scoring for having them and each player is going to have their own focus for which type of book is going to score them the most points and there can be several different types or categories of books on one card 
Each book comes with a letter and a number. Uh, for example, there are seven M cards in there from M1 to 7. And you're looking to collect these cards and lay them down so that they make alphabetical and numerical sense from top left reading across in a maximum of three rows. For the game, there's going to be worker placement spaces put out. And these are separate boards. And there are 20 of them in the game. And the number of boards put out each round is equal to the number of players and each of the locations have separate worker powers you can use when you go there they're numbered and the lowest one stays so you have more options as the game goes through the rounds now each player is going to have two assistants usually unless you're playing a two-player game and one special assistant and the special assistant is going to give them a special power usually when you put those two assistants out wherever they go they're going to do whatever the area does so, so to give you some examples they might allow you to draw books equal to number of assistants you've used this round and then take the start player token that's the number one which is always going to be in every round and every game it might allow you to for example take two book cards from a display and usually cards are put on the location at the beginning of each round face up so you can see exactly what you're taking so take two shelve one and give another one to another player or there's a, like an auction house where you can go in and you're bidding the number of cards from your hand you're willing to give away in order to take the cards that are on offer there's a book collector where you can go in and you can swap cards around there might be face down cards you name a category of cards and then you look at the the character there and if they contain that category you get to retain them if you wish to and all sorts of different effects from all of these different locations all ways of getting cards into your hand or directly onto your shelves now the special assistants are going to give you different things like the wizard if you had that one is going to allow you to rearrange some books the sasquatch can't go where anyone else is but if someone else goes where they are they get taken back again they can be used the ghost can go into a worker area that's already blocked by someone else's worker and if you do that you get an extra book and there are 12 of those in the game as well again given lots of variety now once a player has got a certain number of cards out and shelved in their library that's gonna be the penultimate round the number of cards depends upon the number of players that you're playing with and once you've gone through the last round we're then going to score now every book you have in your library is going to score you a point apart from the banned ones because they're going to cost you a point each book of your particular focus is going to score you two extra points. There's also then a sort of Knizia style scoring in which of the five legal categories, whichever one you've got the least amount of books in, you score three times that amount of books. There's like a little bit of stability bonus for trying to build in a regular shape and having a rectangle. And there's that bonus scoring for the chosen category. And the player's got the most and is going to score 15 points, second nine and third four. And the most points is going to win the game of Ex Libris. Sean, they have put a lot of effort into the looks and the presentation of the game, into trying to make it really charming. The fact that you get your own unique assistance and your no particular library, they have come on a charm offensive with Ex Libris. What are your thoughts? Before I say my thoughts, uh, I, I noticed that you dumped the idea that you're going to do a quick intro, yeah? Oh, it's like that. Is it? That was less than four minutes. Oh, it's kicking off. I see. Right. No, no, that's fine. Game pit. That's it, it's over. Episode 105 is the last one. It's all right. I was, I was going to chime in and say how, how good a job Ellie did at the end of the show anyway. So <laughs> You and the rest of the world. <laughs> and the rest of us. So I think we can we can actually quit. We've got Natalie and Ellie step into our shoes. Fine. <laughs> and moving on. The look of Ex Libris, it's Renegade Games. They do make very well-crafted 
games in terms of the look. The sh- That's the very thing. carefully worded. And this one is no different. It does have that sort of warm and friendly feel to the artwork. And I'm glad you mentioned about uh, Mr. McIver at the beginning. Yeah, you kind of get that feel. You've seen his artwork around, and, and obviously we have. So, yeah, it, it feels familiar. I think the only thing I have a quibble with and it's been mentioned before, but I thought we just we should just talk about it slightly, is the text on the tiles, when they do come out, those worker placement tiles, it is very small, and yeah, there might be not a lot going on, but those first couple of games, you're constantly picking up the tiles to read it, a slight misstep. I have to agree with you, yeah, and especially if you're playing four players and someone's not that close to where all the areas are, when the areas start spreading out, they all have got two or three sentences of explanation, and it's actually a really good rule book and there's lots of reference to each location that can come out but sometimes you have to refer back to the reference in the rule book because each location is slightly different and because they're slightly different they don't really stick in the mind is this the one where i can take two and give one away or is it the one where the first person takes one and the second person takes the other two or is this the one where i'm bidding or is this the one where i'm guessing the category and because they're all yeah you're doing something very similar with each of your actions very hard for each location to stick in the mind as unique sure absolutely but flipping it back again rodan i do oh. i do love the attention to detail like every individual book on the cards has got its own name and there's always that, that art kind of artwork that i always say i like quite busy artwork things going on in the backgrounds things poking out if you look really closely at so i really do like the artwork on this game each individual book title is just a piece of genius and i love it and there, there's no way you're ever going to get to know all the names of all the books because there's over a hundred book cards in there with several books on them and that all adds to the feeling as well as the unique assistant to each game you feel like your library is your own now that comes with pluses and minuses but it does at least have that feeling that i am building something of my own here so while we're on the tile draw and talking about the tiles etc i think that's one of the things that didn't always work so well for me some of the tiles that come out, the worker placement tiles, are more interesting than others. And sometimes you can get that kind of grouping together that don't really work, especially in the early stages of the game. I have to agree with you. Wow. Yeah, and especially Twice. I found, I know, <laughs> imagine, especially in a three-player game I found, because you only get three tiles out, one of them set to take start player, which is only one space. So then you're reliant on the other two tiles. If even one of them is more useful later on in the game for example like the wishing well where you hand cards in in order to shelve cards well if i haven't got many cards and i'm not really sure where i'm going and where i want to structure my library that's a bit useless early on to me i more want to just get some cards in my hand so i can start developing where i want to go and i think that i like that they've made each game have a different sequence of events because there's there's that sort of uniqueness to it but it can lead to really duff draws and fairly boring rounds until you get number one and two and four, whatever it might be, set up and permanently in play. And then there's a bit more variety and you can start going your own way. It's Sometimes the beginning of the game is the weakest part of the game. At the same time, though, I do like the fact that you do have that longevity to the game because different things are going to come out every game and different cards and with books are going to come out every game because there is a massive stack of them. So, it's, yeah, it can go wrong. I think generally it doesn't tend to. I think maybe I found maybe one in four 
possibly one in three, it, it, you get that kind of false start. Mm, still quite a high number. Yeah, maybe, maybe. The other thing, though, you're saying that there's lots of variety to it. That is true. They've tried to do that with, again, the unique systems and with the different spaces coming out. There needs to be variety somewhere because no matter what the trappings are, the main course of the game is always the same. It's take cards and put them down and try and have them in order. Yeah. So it's a type of variety. It's not a variety in strategy. It's not even a variety in tactics. It's just a variety of, all oh, which way around am I going to do it this time? Yeah, it's a variety in fluff. <laughs> it's just um, <laughs> it's fluffy variety fluffy variety so you've got two very distinct elements to the game that are not going to change i.e I. that you're going to have that worker placement where you're trying to get cards into your hand to give yourself as much chance of laying down into your own library and that element is the puzzle element you've got to arrange your cards as best as you can trying to make sure that you get that sequence going so yeah very two very similar elements in every game but there's the fluff around it that gives it the maybe the illusion of longevity but it certainly worked on me because i am stupid (laughs) i've got two interaction points to make sure before i think we're ready to sum up okay first one is what you're doing is building a library and that in itself is a very solitaire thing to be doing i'm don't really care if you've got d6 or d5 down in your library and i'm not particularly looking at what eleanor's playing over there nor what nathalie's doing i'm more concentrating on my own library so a lot of the game is watching people take cards into your hands you don't know what they've got and then put them down and you don't really know what they've put down either. You're not terribly interested. What interaction there is on the board and I like the unique systems but some of them are a bit too negative for the type of game this is. Yeah, I think there are some that are quite powerful as well. I think some are quite enjoyable just to play. Some of them have that interaction like the gelatinous cube which makes the other players make a decision which is cool but then there are some that are very powerful like the one that rearranges your own library within itself so yeah the wizard yeah, yeah so there, there's a bit of hit and miss about those as well well if i'm like for example the gelatinous cube it kind of goes back to that the worker placement spots are tight at the beginning. If someone's playing with a gelatinous cube, when you go where they are, they that person who owns the gelatinous cube gets to take extra actions. And if you're doing it every turn, it's quite powerful for them. But at the beginning, you're kind of forced to do it. So in a game that's quite lightweight and gateway, I'm forced to have this negative interaction, which I'm not... Mm, I'd rather have seen a lot more positive powers for existence rather than negative ones. Just to bring you off on one thing, Vernon, every player has their own type of book that they're trying to collect. And that's where the little bit of interaction came for me. It's kind of looking around, right, you're definitely after the red books, you're definitely after the green, you're definitely after the yellow, and maybe slightly being negative along there, taking things. If you if you don't really want anything, okay, well, I'm going to stop Sean because he's after yellow, so I might as well take the yellows. That'll annoy him. So there's that tiny bit of interaction. It depends how people weight the scoring because you can really chase the ones that you're after and then it, it does take a little while and, and the game's not that long. It is uh, up to 60 minutes long. That usually takes half the game until you quite clear, oh, you definitely are after them. And then the interaction is not that heavy. So you might think about denying me the, the fact books, the blue books, but uh, it's very light. And people often then will start hammering the 
categorical variety bonus, the Knizia score in any way, because they're actually worth more points. It's three times your lowest number that you have in the categories. And that can be more powerful than just chasing your own speciality because you can't, I'm going to get some of those books anyway. Yeah, they're going to score me a couple of points each, but the Knizia scoring can score me actually quite a lot more. Ronan, I'm going to sum up on Ex Libris. And to be honest, I'm going to go back right to my very first statement, which was it's a warm and friendly game where I think definitely in the gateway range of games, it can go slightly wrong with the tile draws. But I think generally I'm always going to enjoy playing this. I'm not going to go out and buy it. I'm glad that you own it and I'm happy to play it any time. But yeah, it's a gateway game with a slight difference and a little bit of longevity for me. We've been reading each other's notes again, haven't we? <laughs> I'm desperately looking at my thesaurus to change some of the words I was going to use. <laughs> so uh, Ex Libris to me is an attractive, fun, gateway-level game with a lovely theme that I absolutely adore. I probably wouldn't keep it if I wasn't playing with more casual gamers a lot in terms of an actual heavy gamers library if that's what you play all the time it's not heavy at all there's quite a bit of random when it comes to the assistance i'd be very careful which assistance assistance i'd let into the game with new players i wouldn't let the fire imp be in there for example i can see it annoying people i'd probably stack the deck of locations a little bit for the first couple of rounds and i kind of wish they'd done that to to eliminate completely those duff draws that you get again especially in a three-player game but i'm absolutely charm bx libris i'm quite happy to own it and it's one that i can see for example over christmas there are some people in our extended family that like games but don't have a huge games collection but like to play a proper game if you like and i think x libris is going to be a hit with them very good okay so next up for us is montana designed by rudiger dawn coming from white goblin games playing two to four players so in Montana, you're basically in a race to lay settlement tiles on a modular map by paying resources. Resources are collected by placing workers, which are disposable workers, on areas that are going to harvest copper, stone, grain and pumpkins and to gather money. You also have a marketplace on the main board, which you're going to bid pumpkins for rewards, including turning small stone and copper into large stone and copper. This is all for placing on the board to pay those resources. Workers are gained by spinning a wheel and wherever you land on you get and tiles when you are placing your settlement tiles must be placed adjacent to a previously laid tile and then you can lay in three areas and up to five tiles if you get to lay the bonus tiles because there are places where you can lay two settlements and if you ever have a row of four you can lay an extra settlement it has to be a straight row also on the board you have water canteens if you manage to lay adjacent to those you're going to pick them up and that gives and give you an extra go at some stage and there are cows dotted all around the place and these are going to allow you to trade them in at will on your turn for resources workers and money the game ends when a player lands the final settlement tile then you're going to finish the round and there's various tiebreakers including cows and water canteens and then resources very quick overview of montana ronan i know a little little flower didn't get on with this one who are you talking about what's this all about <laughs> there was a grumpy little flower that didn't want to play it <laughs> I, I was very happy to play it. I wanted to try it, and now I never want to play it again. But there you go. That's the spoiler for this review. Right, okay. Let's deconstruct this fella for a little. What did you think he looked like? How, how did it look on the table to you? Messy. Yeah. The point is, because I have to tie this all together, the looks were messy because it had zero thematic connection, all right? So 
it didn't look like what I was trying to do. And so many bits in it didn't make sense that when I looked at the board to form a pattern, I would rather it had been completely abstract. Because when I'm looking down there, and it's all to link to do with the weight and the speed of the game, all right? Which is, I know it's probably easy to break things down, but I kind of can't because it all sort of rolled together into a whole snowball of a mess for me. So the thematic disconnect was the start, Sean. When I look at it, it doesn't look like what I want to be doing or... I feel like I should be doing. There are pumpkins around the place. There are canteens for no reason. There's which resources used to build settlements make no rhyme nor reason. There's different types of workers. I mean, we can go to that. The fact that the game is a 30 minute efficiency race game. I might need certain types of workers to go with what I've got. And I use the spinner and I get random workers. And that spinner will affect whether I can win or lose. And to a great degree. I'm not 100% going to disagree with you. I think you can always use two workers. You can always influence the spinner. You don't ever have to use much grain. An efficiency game. I don't want to use my two random workers I got when you can use your one random worker that you got to do the same thing. And I don't want to spend extra corn to move the spinner when you didn't have to get corn or you're using your corn to build settlements because you can use corn to build settlements. So it's automatically, because it's a pure, themeless Euro efficiency race. I wouldn't say it's completely seamless. There's a little bit in there. You're obviously settling a new area. You're going to need resources to go and do that, some of which are going to be stone. wheat. To feed your people in the settlement that you've just built. Of course, you need need a stockpile. (laughs) Listen, I'm clutching at straws. I'm clutching. I'm clutching <laughs> at wheat here, right? I, I think if you, you really want to see the theme in it, you can. If you really don't want to see it, then it's it's just it's not there for you. And I think that by the end, that's what it's going to boil down to. You're either going to want to like this, or you're not going to want to like it. And I that's don't, too easy, though. I, th- I don't think willing. there was enough in it for you. But you're hitting the nail on the head because, in terms of what I'm getting back, there's not enough in it. But there's so many little hiccups and exceptions and little nonsenses that don't make sense in this length and weight of a game. All right. For example, the pumpkin bidding doesn't make any sense. It does. The fact that I'm bidding with pumpkins to get some random, not that random, but to select extra resources or select upgrades. Why are the, why are the pumpkins in there? They, they're added, they're tacked onto a very quick game. Mm. And then basically what it turns into is, if you've spent pumpkins and I've got two left, I'll trigger a bid because I'll know I'll get something. And I've spent my two, and then you randomly spin and get a pumpkin worker. You have to use it to get pumpkins, which you don't particularly want, but now I've got some spare pumpkins, great. I'll trigger a bid because you lot have got none, and I'll get something and you won't. And it's just another random thing tacked yeah, on. Uh, let me let me just jump in. Yeah, go on, go on, go on. I tried to do a bit of research in the hope that I could go, no, 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 no. That's why there's pumpkins in there. <laughs> right, so I had a look, and I just tried. I literally, I, I searched for any link between Montana and pumpkins. Now, if someone out there knows better than me, I couldn't find one. So what they should have used, what they should have said, it's fur. There's a huge Montana fur trade when they was settling the area. The fur was like the big thing. So if you'd have had fur as that last resource, then that would have made a lot more sense because you can trade in fur. (laughs) Yeah, it still would have been an annoying mechanism. I quite yeah. I don't think it works with anything less than four players. That that whole market mechanism. 
I agree. There, there is some shoddy work in this game. Don't get me wrong. There is some shoddy work. The work <laughs> I, of selection I, I, I is not clever. I know you do. I know. The work of selection, just going back because you had a long old rant, the work of selection is not clever. It really isn't. The market bidding is clunky at best. But go on. Sorry. Uh, no, no. It's cool. And All right. Because it was linked into the pumpkin market. So via the pumpkin market, you can take uh, ore or copper and you can upgrade it to a larger size of ore. Now, particular areas in which you can build your settlements require that you have the upgraded ore or copper, which brings us to... So they're, they're actually completely separate resources. It's not like they count as three of one. And why they're upgraded and not a completely different resource, which would actually have made more sense and made it clearer, I don't know. But that brings us to, in a 30-minute game, eight different resources within the game, six of which you can use to build settlements, which are randomly laid out. And the way in which you get each of those six different resources is from the random spinner. How can I plan to be efficient in this game? When there are so many resources in such a light game, there are ways around. There, there are, you can obviously go off in a different direction. You don't have to build in a certain direction. So if you if you get a couple of stone workers, then there is always going to be stone around. Especially when people start populating that map, there's going to, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to jump in and build around stone. So I think there are ways of doing it, but yeah, it's it's not it's not perfect. It's not watertight. It's not even close to it. It's quite leaky. I'm glad you used that analogy because I'm going to come back to you now. Okay, what if the resources I'm getting from my random workers don't give me the ability to build on the prairies so I don't get the double build, which puts me behind, or it's not one of the spaces that's next to one of the waters, which is not going to get me the canteen, which is not going to give me the extra action, which is hugely powerful, getting those canteens. Canteens are broken. I've seen, in this, specifically in a LobsterCon game, when we played a four-player LobsterCon game, I managed to grab two canteens, and there was only three on the board, and it overwhelmed everyone else, because I could just go, right, I'm having a double go. And next turn, I'm having a double go. That is massive in a game that long. Yes. Okay. And seeing as we were talking about the ability spatially, if at the end of the day, with all those other problems, the spatial aspect had been clever, it might have redeemed some part of the game. But it's not. And anyone can build off anyone. And therefore, by you scraping together some resources and building somewhere, you might by chance open up a air, big area of opportunity to me because I happen to have the resources for the space. In there. It's not like they're grouped so that if you have lots of pumpkins, you can build up in this area or lots of copper, you can build down this area. They're completely mixed up. And therefore, by doing what you need to do to win the game and building, what you can be doing is accelerating your loss of the game with no real control over that because the next person might spin get the workers they require to fill in those valuable spaces next to where you've just built and you've opened that up for them and you had no idea. Very rarely someone can get the workers and then build straight away. You have to get the workers, then you have to go and get gather the resources and then, so it'd be at least three turns away before somebody would lay on that space. So you've got a little bit of reaction time, but I, I get what you're saying. It's still a little bit on the random side. I, I get it. The only real thing you can do on that map is to stop people getting that, 
straight line of four, which is going to give them the extra. But even- I've been moaning away there like a good, and I'm sure it's made it entertaining listening. Not have you got any other points you've got on that? Make sure. I oh, know I've got my, just my final, my final thoughts. So Ronan, I think we we already know what your sum up is going to be. I think. <laughs> I, I have to say, I've never seen you going in expecting to dislike a game as much as this one. No, did I didn't give that impression, did I? You complained when I said, when I made you play it. You were very yeah, tired, right. to be fair to it you, you were knackered. Was late. I was yeah. complaining that I wanted to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, alright, so from our preview, I, I called it a trap, so... Obviously, that's going to set you off in a certain position. But I, I was honestly willing to get turned around. And my head has been changed sometimes by games. So, obviously, when we sum up, we always try to give some sort of balance. Something good and something bad and what we think in the end. It was quite hard to find redeeming features for Montana. Good components. Okay. Sean? Yeah. <laughs> it's fast. That at least is a good thing, right? That's, that's, that is the basis on my summing up so yeah okay yeah but it's absolutely deathly dull and i never want to play it again (laughs) thank you roman okay Okay. so montana is not watertight it really isn't there there are lots of things that they could and possibly should have done better in this game i do quite like the looks but it does kind of fade into that euro crowd somewhat i've already mentioned that the worker selection and the bidding is just not not really good enough but this game is not a huge brain workout it's a bit of a euro filler for me and i found especially at LobsterCon, i found its niche for me personally was after playing a meaty game and your head's a bit frazzled and you don't quite want to go into the party games or just a, a very very light game it just it, it eased me down to the point where i was either comfortable to move on to something a bit meatier or i was ready just to go to bed having having eased down i think it really does move quickly i think it doesn't really for me outstay its welcome yeah, yeah, i can pull it apart but for some reason, I don't want to because there are elements that I enjoy. So that's Montana. You should have gone to bed. <laughs> <laughs> the last game of this half is Edge of Humanity. 30 to 45 minutes, two to five player game. Designed by Pinny Shakhtar, who designed Become a King. And by Ella Goldstein, who is Mr. Golden Egg Games, who are the publisher, who had hands in City Council, Primetime and Airlines. In Edge of Humanity, it comes with three different scenarios, but we'll start with the start one. You represent a group of survivors of some sort of apocalyptic event. In the first scenario, it's a pandemic and you're in New York. It is a deck builder, but also very much a deck thinner. So it's kind of a card cycling game. In each round, there's going to be an event, which is almost always bad for you. And you're going to have to choose some sort of negative action. It might be to lose health. You have a set amount of health. You ever lose it all, you're going to have to skip a turn in the game, which is quite catastrophic. You might have to give up certain cards. You might have to pay supplies. Supplies being one of the main resources in the game. And it's supplies that you're going to use to build up your own little settlement. Then each player may take one action only per turn. They're going to play a card and do whatever action's on there. It might allow them to heal some of their health. It might allow them to take some cards. There are always cards on offer in a market. You're going to trade for them later in the phase. But here, some cards will let you take them. There are buildings you can build. And that's one of the main point scoring areas. And those supplies I mentioned, each building has got a supply cost. You're attempting to manipulate your hand to have the supplies enough in there in order to build the building, which will give you some sort of bonus, like an increased hand size or a reduction in costs or 
or and there's these break ties when it comes to the trade phase there's all different ones and also the main points in which you need because when a player in the first scenario scores 11 points then they have won the game or it's going to be last a maximum number of rounds according to the event deck because those are set for each scenario and the most points at the end of that is going to win if you can't complete a building at that time you can always complete it later then you're going to get to draw up in the middle of the round which is quite unusual up to your hand size limit if ever you go entirely through your deck then you get to take a survivor from survivor row and put it into your deck and they work very similarly to buildings but there's a phase after trade in which everyone has a chance to pay supplies to build survivors or recruit survivors and they're very similar to buildings they give you powers and they score you points in almost exactly the same way when it comes to trade each card has got a trade value and each player is going to secretly choose a number of cards they have to say how many cards they've chosen face down they're going to put up and everyone flips them over and the player who's given the most trade value in and handed them in and they get thrown away they're out of your deck they get to get first choice of a number of columns equal to the number of players plus one and you're going to take those cards and put them into your discard pile and again they're going to offer you supplies they're going to be buildings they're going to be action cards they're going to somehow help you all the way along so you're constantly giving up cards in order to get other cards to hopefully give up supplies to build buildings and recruit survivors sean in edge of humanity this is a very sort of unique card cycling system is not the same as a lot of deck builders and in fact i think describing it as a deck builder is a little bit misleading because in deck builders you're thinking right i'm getting lots of cards in i'm gonna build up powerful combos i'm gonna get lots of goes this is much more about skimping along on minimal supplies and keeping your deck lean and mean what were your thoughts on edge of humanity it's uh more of a deck scavenge rather than a deck builder isn't it yeah it's something that i was really excited and we both were before Essen. we both called it a very strong treasure we both came home with copies for our own personal collection, and I was really excited to play this one, Ronan. Now, I've only played it once, so you've, you've got to step up on me on that, on that. But my first play, oh, I didn't get on with it at all, Ronan. And you you know because you were there. And it wasn't at all what I was expecting. Now, I, I knew it was this post-apocalyptic theme going on. And I'll tell you what, it hits the theme spot on. I really did feel like I was really up against it in this post-apocalyptic world. It's really, really hard to find the rhythm. And that comes back to the points that you've made. It doesn't play like other deck builders. It does feel thematic. You are constantly having to make tough choices the game is constantly punching you in the face and a bad start will leave you behind the curve and it's really difficult to get back out of that because you'll start spiralling downwards. It's almost a game designed to be awful on your first play or at least you're going to play badly probably because until you find the rhythm of the game and when to sacrifice and when to hold back and how much to give in it just feels incredibly difficult and every event that happens feels catastrophic until you get a little bit of that knowledge of how it works and then you can start mitigating all these difficult things yeah that first go really just sounds so harsh quite swingy and you mentioned those event cards coming they just felt like a hammer blow Every time they came out, like I was getting cards into my deck, and then when they were coming through, there were events that would say, No, you can't use them. And oh, I just felt like I really, really couldn't understand how to, how to play this one. I think we had a discussion afterwards where 
you, you said yourself, Rona, that you can't become possessive about your deck. You almost have to just treat it as a one-off. And you know what? If you get to use it a second time, so be it. But get ready and get rid of those cards because that's the way to play it. Yeah, there's a huge temptation to keep back good action cards in your hand. Because you look at them and it's always hard. You might have two or three to choose from and you think, I'm going to choose this one, but I'll use this one next turn and this one the turn after. And that's most of your hand clogged up and you're not doing your cycling and you're not giving up cards. And because you're the better action cards, you have a higher trade value. And that's how you're going to get better supplies to actually allow you to do anything and build buildings and get survivors and get slightly more powerful because there's such huge temptation to keep hold of those action cards you have to forget about it you have to just go this one is useful to me now this one could be useful to me later any more than two in your hand they're going no matter how fantastic they look or how great you think they're going to work they have to go and that is the most thematic part for me sean is that you're constantly making sacrifices you're constantly saying this is great but it has to go I'm desperate for supplies. And you have to realize that those supplies are the most valuable thing. And that's what will keep you alive. And that's what will mitigate against the events. And that's what will let you to build buildings so you get thematically some shelter from what's going on around you. Uh, you're right. And it is, it is hard to grok. And it is hard to do. Even when you've played it a couple of times, you're still there. Sometimes I realize I'm going, I'm still keeping these action cards in my hand. Why? No, they have to go. They haven't forget about them. They don't exist. They have to go. Yeah, I said it. I said it before, and I'll reiterate again. Thematically, I think they've got this one spot on. But the feeling for me, the overwhelming feeling throughout, was frustration. Now, that wasn't helped, Ronan, by that tiny little boxy scoreboard and the massive box with nothing in it. <laughs> <laughs> the scoreboard is odd it's like a bit of paper that's pinned up with i know but if I, if only they had a massive box then they could have made the scoreboard bigger <laughs> yes <laughs> and the standees on which you mark your your score are way bigger than the scoreboard would necessitate and the box is a full ticket to ride in fact probably deeper box and this could fit into easily a race for the galaxy expansion box easily easily Oh, yeah, There's just a few decks of cards in there. But it's not even useful because to, to make that insert useful, you would have to have, I, I can only imagine, 20 expansions. Otherwise, everything's going to fall out. So it is future proof. <laughs> After 20 That's expansions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, people are saying that you can't even sleeve your cards because they don't fit in. <laughs> oh goodness well, I, on the way back from Essen the insert has gone so I, I can't really comment on the insert all the inserts went I did not have space for any of those unless they were amazing all the box was full I don't know how you can do that I just can't bring myself to do it oh, I'm not carrying them all, but I was carrying stuff back on the train man there's no way um, as well as the scoreboard being not exactly fit for purpose the one weak part to the game for me is the actual scoring because Everything else I felt, and I've been talking about it, really felt mechanically and thematically tied together. The scoring, not necessarily so. It's just a case of, okay, you get some points, and it's almost the least imaginative part of the game. I would have much preferred, Sean, if it was something like goal-orientated victory. So, okay, this time it's going to be the first person to build three buildings. Or this time, the first person to have four survivors. or and, and something that actually tied into the story, as opposed to score points, score points, give up a point because of the event, score a couple more points, yeah, great, you've won. 
on victory points. I, That's the one fall down for me. I take the point, and I kind of agree with the point, but not the examples, because I think if you stipulate in one area, what I did notice when I was playing it with you guys was one you were both went off in different directions, which which was encouraging that there were two directions to go in to score points. And if you if you condense that and say everyone has to go for buildings or everyone has to go for survivors, I think that would... Go, go for the general point rather than the examples because I'm a terrible yeah, game. Player. Okay, fair enough. The general <laughs> point, yeah, maybe because in the scenario where we played when she hit 11 points, that was the end of game trigger. And I think that's the general one as well. Yeah. Anyway. So I think maybe if you, well, maybe if you get to five points, you get a, a bonus or something that you can try and do. Maybe a trade. It's a trade hut where you can maybe trade a couple of cards here and there. You get to seven points it's a survivor and it's thematically linked in with getting near to close to your goal that kind of stuff i don't know but yeah I, I i get what you're saying even if it was you have to collect a certain amount of supplies you know you have to have 12 supplies in your hand and you can hand those in and then you're allowed into the sanctuary maybe or you have to have cards of a certain trade value and then you can trade them for a ticket out of the city or something like that yeah something you know, to tie in something yeah. tied in anything but anyway i just keep going about how, how i like the thematic mechanical tie the fact that survivors cost supplies feels really good and thematic i need these supplies to do anything the survivors are cool but actually they're a burden on me because they're weakening my hand is it worth taking that person into my colony are they going to be good enough for me you know like a family they, they score the most number of points but they're useless Am I willing to give up these precious supplies in order to save that family, or are they off? Anyway, should we sum up on the edge of humanity? Yeah, right. So for me, I really did like the thought of that theme. But in hindsight, I like deck builders. And I like deck builders because they offer plenty to chain together. And you've almost got that sort of hand evolution in, in a positive sense. In this one, I kind of felt it was a kind of a hand devolution almost. You're constantly scraping, you're throwing things away, and maybe I have to change my mindset to play this game. So it's definitely a one I've, I've I've got to try more. I think I owe it to the game to try more because thematically it's so brilliant, but it still needs to win me over. So the second and third game are going to really tell the tale on whether I keep this one in my collection or let it go. And that was Edge of Humanity for me. There's definitely a pattern in our reviews recently whereby if a game is particularly tough and mean and hard i've tended to like it and if it's a bit easier and looser and you can kind of you know build up and get powerful and and trigger massive things you've tended to like it (laughs) and we haven't broken that pattern with edge of vanity at all i also had that first game where i played really poorly it was with too many players we played with five players i think five is too many because it doesn't add anything to the game for you really i think three might be the sweet spot but i was at least interested and it gave me enough that i thought oh i've got to be able to play that better and i couldn't see how on my first play subsequent plays i have played better from going from i don't know how you can survive those nine events without dying two or three times it's gone to now someone will win it six or seven rounds in and they'll get the 11 points because we've all improved a bit it's really blossomed i love the card cycling system i love that it feels tough i especially love that every single action you take counts and you have to make sacrifices i 
absolutely do like Edge of Humanity a lot. And I'm very much looking forward to more plays. And I'm looking forward to those 20 expansions and filling my box. I'm I'm keeping the face, Sean. Yeah, fair play to you, man. And I will be definitely part of some of those games. <laughs> Whether I'm part of all of them, I don't know. I'm going to drag you to the table. Right, that's the first half done and dusted. Short interlude. And Sean is going to be back to us, rabbiting on about a game. Welcome back to part two. And as Ronan alluded to with his fantastic segue, we are now going to be talking about Bunny Kingdom, designed by Richard Garfield, coming from Yellow and playing two to four players. Peace has come to the Bunny Kingdom. And players are going to try and lead their clan of rabbits to glory by building new cities. You have a board with a grid numbered 1 to 10 along the columns and lettered A to J along the rows. Some of the areas have buildings, some have resources, and there are different terrains. Players are then going to draft cards two at a time, which are going to allow them to place bunnies on the grid coordinates stated on the card. You can also construct buildings and gather special powers, including additional resource areas scoring and bonuses you're going to play this over four rounds where points are scored for each area by multiplying the number of towers on the buildings by the number of resources that you control at the end of the game you have the additional scoring and that's going to take place and that's really bunny kingdom run i couldn't think of much more else to say about it that's, that's all that's going on yes it's a relatively simple rule set in itself it's quite quick to teach that doesn't mean there are some intricacies and depth to the gameplay itself but teaching the game does not take long at all no the heart of it is obviously the area control but also the drafting and sean like all good drafting games of any depth it's got a good balance of both positive and negative drafting you're looking to set yourself up for scoring but also there's a little bit of Checking out what everyone else is trying to do. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ronan. But I have a slight issue in that there's so many cards that some players just aren't going to see the cards that they need. And it then becomes very easy for other players to deny them those cards. So if you're in a four-player game and you really need buildings, because buildings are going to be your multipliers for scoring, and everyone else gets building cards in their hand, they're going to take them. By the time it gets round to you, there's not going to be no buildings left. That happens a couple of out of the four and you're struggling a little bit but it, i kind of think it all balances out in the end i'm not sure it does balance no? <laughs> okay. I, I think there's quite a healthy dose of luck in the game and it's something you need to be aware of going into it i think in fact i'm going to say actually more than building sorry to contradict you there but there are special goods in the game now your scoring is your number of towers times your number of goods and there are just three basic ones so there are seven individual cards in the deck which are special goods and they are incredibly powerful because if you can get two or three special goods into a large area you're scoring a massive number of points and sean for me only seven in that whole deck if someone can grab four of them from lucky card draws they are a massive advantage and i'd have liked for there to be either a couple of copies of each of those special goods or more special goods or something to even out that luck i think the buildings you can almost get around with parchments 
the special goods you just can't. Yeah, and I'm just to add in a little bit more to that, there's those special scoring as well, Ronan, when you score quite massively if you've managed to get into a, like water. I remember you doing it on water, and I remember Natalie doing exactly the same, getting that special scoring for fishing and water areas, and that can be absolutely massive. It can be quite lovely if you do it. <laughs> so there are cards that give you one point per fish and two point per fish, and three points per fish, and then 20 points if you have more than seven fish. So you're scoring six for every fish that you get, plus 20 points as well. That can be really tasty in the game with the parchments. Now that comes to me with regards to the the positive and negative drafting, the hate drafting, because initially, and the easy way of doing it is, you look at the board, you look at the grid. If I can see that you've got rabbits in A6 and B6, and D6 and E6, and I've got C6, Guess what card you're not going to see, Sean? That's the easy bit of hate drafting. It's when you can start reading the board better than that. Now, this is a component issue. It's not that easy to read the board. Not when there's loads of bunnies out. When you're trying to keep track of, like I say, those special resources, they they look pretty. They're not the most practical for seeing where everything is. But when you can start to read that and parchments start coming around, and then you can start to evaluate the strength of parchments to other players, or you can look and see, hold on, why is Natalie placing on five different fish areas there when they're not really? Ah, maybe she's got a couple of fish parchments. And that is sort of the second and third levels to the game, which I think is quite surprising because for a game with this dose of luck and this theme and we're all nice bunny rabbits, I didn't expect there to be that level of of learning and understanding. No, but... I do go back to the very easy negative drafting, and it's hilarious. You always know when well, the so- one. <laughs> yeah, you always know when someone's got yours because they're sitting there chuckling. <laughs> yeah, it definitely adds to the fun the fact that there's that sort of obvious, almost petty spitefulness. <laughs> we can go, this card's going to score me ten points, but this one's funnier, so I'm keeping the funny one. I think that is where this game lies. I think it's just a funny, don't take it too seriously type of game. Yeah, there are little layers, like an onion. <laughs> that is your favourite story. I know, I know. <laughs> Donkey. So, but yeah, I think it, it does have a slightly hidden depth, but I think generally it just sits firmly on the fun plateau for me. What's most funny is just fun to have little plastic bunnies and get loads of them out on a board and go, those are my bunnies. It's just, it is lovely to do it. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Do you know what's even more fun? Go on. When people set up their bunnies in little rows into a nice square shape, all their bunnies standing in uniform, and you manage to flick two of your bunnies from the other side of the table and just ruin their uniform bunny formation. That's funny. You're a strange little man. That's nothing to actually do with gameplay, is it? No, it's just me. I I like it. That that was weird. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to sum up on there because Sean's got to his flicking bunny stage. Woo-hoo! Bunny Kingdom, it's actually proven to be quite a hard sell with some people because of the theme, which I just don't understand. Really? I get this sometimes. You're like, Rococo? People won't play Rococo because of the theme. You're like, what? Bunny Kingdom was about bunnies. I'm not playing it. Well, I don't want to play with you then because it's fun. It's really quick, especially for the depth that can be in there. It is heavily interactive. There is a dose of luck. This, for me, is what Sean was describing with Montana. It's kind of like a wind-down game because there's I'm putting thought into it and I have to play well to win, but 
a lot of it is in the lap of the gods. So therefore, oh, well, you know, if I don't win, I don't win. But it'll be nice too because I feel like I've got some control over it. A very strong game. And I, I just, I'm a big fan of Bunny Kingdom, to be honest, Sean. And I can see this sort of being a game collection staple that I take around for different events, either if I'm playing with casual gamers or heavier gamers and we just got 45 minutes to kill. I can see Bunny Kingdom filling those niches and more. It wasn't a hard sell for me to play Bunny Kingdom. What I didn't expect was to actually enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah, it's a drafting game and I always enjoy drafting in games. Yeah, you can get a poor run of luck, but the game itself is just a framework for interaction. It can be dicky, but it's it's funny. It's it's, it's just a funny fun game that I just really enjoy playing and Ronan's absolutely right the Bunny Kingdom is a wind down game and definite one to finish off the night so yeah it's one that I am searching for potentially to bring into my collection too and that was Bunny Kingdom oh, so, I'm pretty sure you've been told to bring it into your joint game collection shh, might be a Christmas <laughs> present for someone <laughs> <laughs> when's this releasing <laughs> so I won't let it listen <laughs> fair enough okay for our penultimate game this time we're going to go back to a game because sometimes we cover them in like SN coverage or love scum whatever and we say we're going to come back to this game and talk about it if our opinion evolves and we very rarely do we decided this time we are going to it's Calamella by Fabio Lopiano and ADC Blackfire we've talked about it loads I'll give you a super quick rundown of the rules you're all cloth merchants you get to place discs in eight different randomized spaces the, wherever you place, you're going to trigger two actions, one either side of there, and any discs that are below you, up to four, are going to trigger. The fourth disc is going to get put into a council, and that's going to trigger one of 15 different types of scoring. What you're trying to do is produce wood, brick, statue, or marble to place into monuments which are being built in the city of Florence, or producing cloth and either shipping it via ship or via wagon to one of six different cities on the board and all scoring is area majority whoever's donated the most wood overall whoever's donated the most things to a certain church whoever's got the most cloth delivered to london whatever it might be some end game scoring if you want to know more rules we covered it in a preview and we covered it in one of our essen live shows so okay have a look there or there's a pit stop surprisingly enough <laughs> go check out youtube type in pit stop Calimata. you'll find it there we both had very good first impressions with it sean you did want to talk about it again now that we've played quite a few times i think i'm up to seven or eight games of it has anything changed for you or or what particularly did you want to note so first off um, (laughs) i just wanted to very quickly talk about the deluxe pieces now i'm all about the blinging out games and (laughs) i had the the pleasure of uh, playing with the designer's own copy in lobstercon and he had all the blinged out pieces don't bother <laughs> you can't actually see the places that you're supposed to be placing in because they're massive they just take over the board don't play with them <laughs> right everyone said that to me and i don't get it because i've got them because i bought the game in essen and i did buy it <laughs> and i'm just like what are you talking it doesn't take over anything it's it does right if you're on the wrong side of the table you have to like reach over them to to get to the places where you're placing cubes it's annoying anyway moving on thanks i think This game's biggest problem is its looks. It looks very dry. It fades into the sea of beige Euros. And I have found this one. The buzz out of Essen has helped, but I found this one to be the one that it's quite a hard sell. It's quite people look. I'm a cloth merchant. Yeah, I've been there, done that, mate. Show me something new. 
And that is the biggest sell. And I think once you get past that, you, you start to get the hidden treasure. I think that ADC Blackfriar are a bit of a funny company from at least the UK point of view and possibly the English-speaking games market point of view because they are a big company. They've got three separate European big hubs. They represent all sorts of different stuff, board games and toys. And I, I think the English market is a very small part of what they do. So they don't market very well to the English audience. You hear about them a lot on the heavy cardboard. That might be about it. Maybe us talking about Kalimala. I've tried to speak to them in email and stuff and got very little back from them. So they don't really engage. So that's part of the issue is the fact that their main focus is not us. They're based in Europe. They've got big market in germany so you know if it had been pushed a bit more it would have been one of those ones that people recognize the game and they'd be like oh calamara i've heard of it but where are you going to have heard of it because it's not really been massively pushed but anyway the reason i think it is such a good game is the rules overhead is really low you can teach this very quickly but it's a very thinky game every game is different sean with the variety with action spaces and with the scoring i will say though i do prefer it at lower player counts i'm not sure that it gains much by being played with four or five players, definitely not. You, you get to do too little. The scoring goes so quickly. There's the disc is cycling too quickly. And I didn't feel under much control with five players. Yeah, I've only played it with actually four players. I've played it uh, a handful of times with just four players. So that's kind of the only thing I've got to go on. But what I do find is that, yeah, that worker placement mechanic is what makes the, the game tick. But the hidden objectives have been a bit hit and miss for me so far. Now, I'm blaming Terry because we played a game with, with Terry who's been on the show. And, yeah, she didn't place one cube in her own objective. Which <laughs> completely. And somebody else did something really similar. Only placed one cube or something. And it just completely threw off the end of the game because I was going, right, you're going for that area. I piled into those areas and... Yeah, got nothing out of it. <laughs> Don't hate the game, hate the player. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> You're telling me I hate Terry? Oh, that's mean. Can't hate Terry. Yeah, I'm not going to defend her, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I haven't found that, but then I haven't played with the sort of incompetence apparently you've been playing with. <laughs> Here is my one issue, and I know that Fabio is going to want to kick me in the shins for bringing this up, because he staunchly denies it. But, so far... In my experience, there can be a turn order problem. And depending upon how the action spaces have come together and the scoring spaces have come together, you can get a case where the first players have got a huge advantage to me, in my eyes, and scoring can be triggered when the later players, player four or five, have had zero chance to get to where the scoring is triggered. Now, that might put the first or second player three or six points ahead. It also gets them representation in the council because those first couple of players are going to be more likely to be at the bottom of the stacks of discs and they're more likely to get into the council and the council is a tiebreaker for everything. So even then, if I play as well as them, in every other area of the game, but they've got more of those discs in the council because they went first, I'm going to keep losing out on the tie breaks. And there have been maybe 50% of games, and I think it's still the setup, the turn order has greatly influenced and and the end position of players has, has almost exactly followed turn order. And it's felt that way to us as we're playing that someone's had an advantage. And that has been a bit of a... Mm, what happens is you, you draft action cards at the beginning of a turn an action card lets you if you can't take an action you get an action card a random one and then you can spend it any time on another turn in order to take the action on the card but they're random apart from the first draft getting a marginally better action card ahead of the first place still getting an action card isn't enough for me Sean and I'm definitely leaning towards the players later in turn order 
getting one or two more action cards to try and prevent that early scoring advantage? We talked about it before, and I was kind of leaning your way on it. But the last game I played, there was a couple of really obvious like places for people to place their first couple of tokens down on to get those actions, like kind of gathering resources to get ready to go into certain areas. Now, when those first two people placed in them, although you kind of wanted to go on top there and maybe give them extra, everybody else just stayed away and went to other areas. And it meant that those people were going back in on top of themselves. Yeah, they were sort of double triggering for themselves, but it was a slower process and they kind of limited themselves in where they were later on in the game because nobody wanted those resources towards the end of the game so yeah it it kind of balanced out because people just didn't follow suit it depends on where the action markers come out yeah and that's what i found so that's why i said maybe 50 percent of games i found it to be an issue i know that people are talking about if you get wood and brick together Mm. the first player goes on wood and brick okay you can avoid it you can go either side and try and take one wood or one brick but even if they then just trigger themselves then they're getting and then because the build action is how you build up your infrastructure mm. they're ahead Fabio says there's other ways of doing it you don't have to build up your infrastructure you need to trade immediately and stuff like that but at the end of the day they're going to catch up with you because if they have more workshops and more ships boom they, they're shipping more yeah I know it's one of the selling points of the game is that you've got that kind of random scoring selection and the random action selection but do you think maybe having at the back of a book maybe sort of eight to ten setups and maybe thinking about where, where they go would help I think it would definitely help I think like, I can't actually I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of a counterpoint to you because I hadn't <laughs> thought of it and I can't I just think yeah why wouldn't you it's a lot of people have to use them and it's like this should give you a variety of strategies to explore because like I said I'm like seven or eight games in and I'm still experiencing the problem yeah I'm probably playing it badly I've got no doubt about that if I was 20-30 games in I'd probably think my way out of it how many people are going to play a game seven or eight times never mind 20 or 30 Mm. and think their way out of it and and that would be my thought on it and the only other thing that I'd say is, and I've realised that I've, I've been a little bit negative, I really enjoy the game. I really, no matter what, I really enjoy it. I like this fact that I'm trying to think my way out of the puzzle. If I go fourth, and there are obvious moves, I'm trying to think, right, I can think my way out of this. There is a way out. But people get fistfuls of action cards sometimes, and especially towards the end of the game, they're useless to them. And I think the ability to hand in any two action cards to take any action or three action cards to take any action, that would help with that as well. That would be the one other change I might think of. Mm. I know Fabio's going to kick me and tell me I'm an idiot, but that's all right. I can accept that. Well, you are, but I kind of agree with you on this, so that probably makes me an idiot. <laughs> Calimala, your, your final thoughts now that we've both played it a few times. Final thoughts, Ronan. It still is the one game out of Essen this year that I'm quite sad that I didn't pick up. I will be looking out for it uh, when it hits general release, for sure. I don't really enjoy my games of it. I think it does play well at different player counts, and there's a, a lot of depth in a relatively short time frame for this game so yeah Kalimala's a winner for me a winner for me as well in terms of rules overhead to depth of game to variety of game to replayability a sure fire winner and like Sean said it's proven to be a bit of a hard sell I would definitely go for it if you like Euro games it never has lasted more than an hour and a half some games are done under an hour and I felt like I've played a proper Euro in that time frame it kind of feels like Concordia weight to me if that's any use to you that's the same feeling. It's not a similar same game, but it's a similar feeling of length to weight. 
So there you go, Calamara, Sean, you're going to finish us off with another drafting game. I am indeed, Ronan. It's Paper Tales from Catch-Up Games, designed by Masato Usugi and two to five players. Now, this one re-implements an old game called Vorpals, if you've ever heard or played that one. So the theming is that there was once a time of relentless heroic wars and fantastic creatures and time has come to reopen this book and relive those legendary ages. Players are going to start with five building cards, and each round are dealt with a number of unit cards. Unit cards are drafted into their hands, and each unit can be played onto a grid of four on the table by paying the cost on the card. Now, units are things like soldiers and bakers and krakens and all sorts. So... Each card has a strength value and can have an ability or a resource on it. Once players reveal their cards, they have a war with the players either side, with the top or the front two cards totaling their strength value, and you're comparing it to your neighbours and scoring points for the win. Cards score points in other ways too, and can harvest resources and money. Construction happens once per round when those buildings can be put into play or upgraded. Buildings basically are going to give you boons. Aging is going to occur at the end of each round. If you would ever place a second age token on your card, then that card must be discarded unless stated otherwise. After four rounds, the most points wins. Paper Tales, Ronan. How did you find it? Another drafting game, Sean. It is. I I love drafting games. It's one of my favourite mechanisms. I just do. You do. I like all games in which there's a variety of cards. And drafting gives you the chance to look at lots of different cards within a shorter time frame. I think that's why I love it so much. This one, in terms of the variety, there are so many different units and so much different in this case, just artwork and different things you can do that it charmed me immediately in that I thought, wow, there's a lot in this small package in terms of variety. I'm right with you on this one in terms of charmed immediately, Ronan. Oh, oh. that was a loaded use of the word it immediately. Was. It was. I, I picked up on that. <laughs> I've come to love drafting. I don't think quite as much as you. I love drafting. Yeah, love drafting. I think your love for it is quite infectious, and I kind of see it through your started to see it through your eyes, and now I see it through my own eyes. And I, yeah, I do like a good draft. <laughs> That's what you like to sit next to an open window. <laughs> I don't know. There was a bad joke there somewhere. <laughs> and in terms of paper towels as well, for the fact that it is a quick game, it's got this almost fairy tale theme. It there's less negative drafting because you're not always quite sure what the next player is going to do. Certainly not until rounds three or four when when some things might become apparent. But it's quite a positive little game in that you're just like, oh, well, here's my cards I have. Here's the ones I've got. What's my own little answer to my own little puzzle that I'm making? Yeah, I think in terms of negative drafting, it's very, quite obvious if somebody can afford something. Money is quite tight in this game in general. You can stockpile, but then you're not really putting great cards in. So you're probably going to lose a couple of wars on the way to stockpiling but yeah you can kind of if you've got the kraken or something like trying to remember a dragon that's going to cost you six coins you can pretty much look around the table and say well they can't afford it they can afford it they can but are they a massive threat to me so yeah it's quite easy negative drafting that leads to something which might be a negative to other players is the fact that 
with that and the fact that there's this aging and that units are disappearing there's not that much strategy going on if you do try and stockpile gold in order to get the more expensive cards they might not come around to you they might not suit what's going on you might get too far behind there's not a huge catch-up mechanism or anything so it is very much a tactical little puzzle each turn around it's not too deep and there's not too much of a, a thread running through each of those choices and rounds that was the, the really the main disappointment for me on my subsequent plays the first time i played it i felt exactly that way but then the puzzle didn't evolve the game didn't evolve i didn't see sort of new and fabulous ways of using what i was I was given what i collected you've got the same buildings that you can either upgrade or just bring into play and yeah it didn't evolve as a game runner are you expecting too much from it though i'm not sure it was ever meant to evolve i think sometimes because we play a lot of games we we look for too much within a package and this is a lighter differently presented if not themed drafting game which the variety comes from in the cards I don't think it's trying to be that. It's not even a gateway game. It's very much a casual game. On its own, I would say yes. But there was another frustration that I found. And not like Bunny Kingdom when it was it was quite funny, but you'd always have the chance to react because you were getting so many cards into your hand and you weren't able to pay for them. But in this one, there was, there was some cards that seemed a little bit broken if the luck went in a certain way. So there's a card called the Relic, I believe it's called. And instead of dying with age, it collects age. Now, in the game that I played, it was a two-player game, the other player lost every single battle but got that relic card on their first turn and just coupled it with other cards that they got that i didn't have a chance to stop them getting to add age to a card and they ended up winning the game just on that one card now that's not clever play and there's nothing i could have done about it coupled with the lack of evolution of the game for me i started to get a little bit frustrated with paper tales they had that sort of perfect collusion came together all at once for them and it happened to be i've got the relic all I've got the Time Master, I've got the Necromancer, I can put loads of time Asian tokens on. Great, that happened. If it happened once with all those different units, you know, there's going to be a chance that that, that can happen for you and you go, oh, the game is inoffensive in itself but the lack of just progression in the game for me it was teetering on the edge of being a little bit bland i'm not sure you're judging it in its class though i get what you're saying yeah do, am i expecting too much from it i think maybe after essen and you see so many games at essen it's probably the wrong game to be playing i think maybe over christmas if i'd have played it over christmas in more relaxed surroundings not having played like 50 games in, in a couple of weeks yeah, maybe, maybe I would be easier on it, but it's uh, maybe the time frame it came out, Ronan, it just it just started to irritate me a little bit. <laughs> Is this your Montana? Well, <laughs> I was tired and bored of playing. I'm not bored of playing games, but but I had played a lot of games, and I was I, I just want to go to bed. No, we need to play Montana again. <laughs> I'm sounding like I hate it, but I don't hate it, and. I would certainly play it again, but I would certainly play it with a different mindset in that I really don't care what's happening. I'll see what cards come into my hand. I'll see what I can do with them, but do I really care? What you're describing there, to me, is exactly what the game is attempting to do. So, it's a, like My thoughts were that I thought it was a lovely, light game. 
I think as great presentation. I know there's different schools of thoughts on that. I love the presentation. It's purely tactical thinking. So it was a case of I'd collect some cards each round, look at six of them or so, and I'd play two, three or four of them and be like, right, from what I've got and what I've got in my hand, what's the best thing I can do here? A little bit of thought. I didn't like the buildings. I didn't like... I don't think they added anything to the game at all. They just added a bit more overhead. I wasn't really fussed what I had. I wasn't really planning for them. And the whole flipping them over or building them all at once. I think there could have been something better to do with that and to do with the resources that were on the cards. But anyway, I found Paper Tales to be fluffy and fun, which is why I've been saying to you when you're saying, oh, it didn't evolve into this, didn't that. I'm not sure it meant to. I don't even think it's a gateway game. I think it's just a light, casual, fluffy game which does what it sets out to do really well and that I could play with non-gamers, very casual gamers, and I wouldn't be bored playing it. So, for me, just going quickly back while I sum up, the art, I quite liked the art. I thought the iconography was spot on. Like, I always knew from two minutes into reading the rule book, I could tell you what every card was supposed to do. Really good rule book, really easy to get into the game. When I say it didn't evolve, it's, that sounds a lot deeper than I mean it to. It just didn't change from game to game. It didn't, it didn't do anything different from game to game. I didn't, didn't go, oh, nicely done the only time i did that was when something really frustrated me maybe a victim of the timing of when i played it and my own mindset but for me paper tales it's a game that i could quite happily forget and quite happily never play again but if if i have to play it i will that's paper tales i feel like we need to reconnect you to your heart People, those are six more games picked over. A lot of varied opinions there, Sean. Well, we, we agreed on Bunny Kingdom, maybe one or two others, but a little bit of dissension in the ranks. Yeah, a little bit. I think we're coming at a couple of those games from different standpoints, but it's all good. It's all good. We can't love everything together. That's, that's show business. <laughs> Indeed, if that's what you can call this. <laughs> That's what I'm throwing out there. It is Christmas soon, Sean. Yay! A very, very Merry Christmas to you all. We had a bit of a chat earlier in the intro about really what a fantastic year and six months and three months it's been for us, how well everything seems to be going. We're getting loads of feedback from people. You're all very kind. And again, as we said, the ones that say I don't like this or I do like that are really handy to us because I know lots of content creators say it, but we don't get that much back. So sometimes it's hard to know where you stand. If you have got an opinion on the show, just tell us. And we're not going to get offended. We've had lots of abuse before for poor sound quality and being idiots generally. And yeah, you know, we take it on board. We try to improve slowly as we go along. So just let us know your thoughts. Thank you so much for all your support, everyone. You really make this such a rewarding process for us. Have a fantastic holidays. Have a fantastic new year. We're going to try and get one or two more out before new year, but, but who knows if we will or not. You know what it's like. So thank you very much sean thank you thank you ronan i can just only echo that have a very happy christmas and all the best for 2018 and if you could please try to just send us those questions in for our episode 100 that would be fantastic and just a little note on what we've got on the work in the work sean we've got episode 100 which we hope to have lots of you on we're gonna have all our contributors we've got an episode coming soon with puria we sean and i are gonna be doing a lighter games episode where we're gonna go over lots of games we've played with family since essen over christmas that maybe don't warrant a full 10 or 15 minute review but we want to mention anyway so we're gonna do one of those it'll be similar to one i did with eleanor which people seem to like so cool we're gonna do another one of those and then we're going to prepare our review of 2017, which we hope to get out 
before July, which was what happened this year. Oh, well, it pretty much has to do because I'm expecting an arrival into the family in April, Rodan. So, Woohoo! A little yeah. Odin. A little baby Odin, as my son de- <laughs> decreed today. That's what we're calling him, Daddy. Fully on board with Odin. <laughs> exactly so, when baby Odin arrives, I'd probably be out of commission for at least a couple of months. Yes. Yeah, be back well, uh, I'll after. still annoy you a bit. I'll still annoy you a bit to, uh, to come on in some capacity. We might review older games or, or do some sort of a comparison or top 10 worker placement games or something like that. Something that Sean doesn't have to be playing the, the most recent games and then I guess I'm going to be calling on our other contributors to help me out for a while to keep this thing going cool and as always we are very proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to contact us and as i said please do your questions for episode 100 our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com we can also be contacted on our board game geek guild let's pop along there and ask us a range of questions or just chat away to us we are on social media we have our facebook page we're on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast, and we also have our Instagram page. If you wish to download the episodes, we are on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And please pop along to YouTube for our pit stop videos, which which are really doing quite well for us at the moment. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you soon. Music by E. Allen. Christmas boy, 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 boy,